which is the truth. Uh, but uh, never fear, uh, if uh, if I can't do it, Lisa said she was ready. So uh, we'll have a message anyway. I didn't know whether to start with a joke tonight or not. Um, we laughed so much this morning that uh, <laughs> but, uh, he was a good speaker, wasn't he? I really appreciated uh, hearing all of that about the Gideons and, and the good work that they're doing. I didn't realize uh, a lot of those things that they were doing. <clears throat> A Texas billionaire built a swimming pool the size of a football field. And uh, then he filled it with all kinds of poisonous creatures like piranha and uh, filled it with alligators and crocodiles and all kinds of ugly things. And then he said to a group of young men, he said, now whoever can swim the length of that and come out live on the other end has a choice. They can choose $5 million or my daughter is their wife. Pretty soon, splash. And in a, just a few seconds, as you can imagine, out the other end came this young fellow, and he's all scratched and bleeding and, and, and all of that. And he's standing there thinking, and the billionaire goes up to him and says, Now, I suppose, son, what you're trying to do is figure out whether to take the $5 million or my daughter's hand. The young fellow said, no, I'm trying to figure out who pushed me in. <laughs> I wish I could say that had something to do with my message, but it, <laughs> it, it doesn't. I'm breaking all the rules of good, uh, good homiletics. Turn to me, please, to 1 John in chapter 1, please. 1 John in chapter 1, we're going to read in a few minutes the first seven verses. 1 John in chapter 1. I'm beginning in my own personal study uh, to put a course together uh, in the expositional study of 1 John. I'd, I've never done that before, uh, not putting a course together, but I've never uh, studied 1 John to that extent. And so I'm uh, excited about it, and I've really enjoyed it. And so I thought I would use you tonight for guinea pigs in the first... Uh, the first session of this course, if that's okay. First John chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. As I walked in the store, I couldn't believe it. There laying on the shelf was just exactly what I was looking for. I was, this was 40 years ago, I was in a pawn shop in Bangor, Maine, and I had been looking for an antique rifle that was built in the 1800s. And as I walked in, I saw one there. I was sure that's what it was. I walked over to it, and I picked it up and looked it all over, and I have some familiarity with firearms, and, and I noticed that it had been sanded and refinished, and the, the bore wasn't very good and all of that, but it was made in 1899. And it's something that I've been looking for and something that I really wanted. So I examined it very, very carefully. And then when I took it over to the counter, the pawn shop broker said, oh, I have something else that goes with that. And I said, what's that? And he brought out a letter from the Marlin Firearms Company. And he had written to them. And in that letter, they had stated uh, that this was a genuine Marlin firearm, that it was caliber 3840, that 
It was made in 1899, and then, much to my surprise, they had taken the serial number and pinpointed the exact day that it had been made in 1899, and it was November 18th. Now, most of you don't realize that something great happened. Clarence and Vivian Booker had a son <laughs> on November 18th, not 1899. <laughs> I knew someone was going to say that, and I was kind of hoping Keith wouldn't be here tonight, but anyway. Not 1899, a few years later, but uh, I, I couldn't believe it. They're on the official letter from the company was the day, the year, and all of the information that I needed. So, of course, I purchased it. What I figured out was that between my examination and the letter from the maker, I had a genuine, authentic article. And what we find in 1 John is John taking the time, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to help us understand the authenticity, first of all, of Christ, the authenticity of the apostles and his message, and then the authenticity of our Christianity. And so we're going to call this 10 Practical Proofs, and no, Keith, we won't do all 10, 10 Practical Proofs of my Christianity. The authenticity of our Christianity. Follow with me, please, as I read 1 John 1, 1 through 7. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. Would you pray with me for a moment, please? Father, thank you for your word. It is holy, sacred, perfect, and true. We don't need to add anything to it, but we ask your blessing and help as we consider your word and the exposition of your word this evening. Continue to touch my heart through this book and all of us here tonight for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The authenticity here that John is talking about is much the same as what I discovered in that pawn shop. It is discovered by looking and searching and checking with what we know, and it also is discovered by looking at the letter from the author, the letter from the maker. And that's exactly what John is doing here. In fact, he answers two questions. He answers the questions, how do others know that I'm a Christian? And how do I know and have confidence in my Christianity? 
I think those are valid questions that he answers for us. How do others know that I am a Christian, and how do I know and have confidence in my own Christianity? Well, John the Apostle wrote this book late in his life, just before his exile, in the book of the Revelation, in about 90 A.D. And we call him the Apostle John, and rightly so, and he calls himself that, and others as well, because an apostle was one who had seen Jesus and had the authority to write the scriptures, to settle disputes, to minister to others, to mentor others, to answer questions. An apostle was one who had seen Jesus, but who had the authority given by God to do this very thing. At the same time, what is so interesting about these books, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Revelation, is that he was at the end, near the end of his life, after living 90 or so years, and with all of that life experience. And the reason why I say those things is because when we consider what he says about the authenticity of our Christianity, or the proof and the authenticity of who Christ is and who the apostles were, we need to understand those two things. That it came not only from his personal experience, which we'll see here in a few minutes, but it came from knowing the author of the book and the maker of the book. It's interesting here and uh, that he should address in this book that he should address those whom he called. Uh, you can see it in chapter 2, verses 1, 15, 16, 28, chapter 3, chapter 4, and chapter 5. He is addressing his little children who are in the world. I thought that was interesting. His little children who are in the world. You see, he's going to substantiate here that God is our Father, that even he who is ministering to these others is really their father in the faith and they are in the world now that tells us something that tells us that they needed help right because we are in the world and we need this help we need the word of god we need the ministry of the holy spirit we need the things that the word of god tells us that we have in christ and we are often like little children and we indeed are little children of the father who are living in this world. Boy, that brings it right down to where it's at, doesn't it? Because we have our struggles, we have our difficulties, we have our temptations, we are, as they were, we'll mention this in a moment, exposed to all kinds of heresy and so forth. And we indeed are like little children of the Father who are in the world. And that's why I think this book is so not only important, it's all important, but is so particular to us today and so practical for us today. Ten practical proofs of the authenticity of our salvation because we are like little children in the Father but in the world. A couple of reasons that this is all introduction now. Uh, but a couple of reasons that John wrote this book was, first of all, to expose heresy. But well, we need that today as well, don't we? It's to expose heresy. There were those in John's day, and you get the idea from reading through this book, 
But uh, there were those in John's day who were very, very outspoken about the fact that they didn't believe that Christ was the Son of God or that he came in the flesh. What is any more important to our Christianity than those two facts? That he is the Son of God and that he came in the flesh. First of all, if Jesus is not the Son of God, throw out our Christianity, right? Why are we wasting our time here on a beautiful Sunday evening when we could be four-wheeling? If Christ is not the Son of God, we have absolutely nothing. And if he did not come in the flesh, then we have no salvation. And yet there were those in John's day, and there are those today, who are saying Christ is not the Son of God, neither did he come in the flesh. And John deals with that. We'll see that later. They also, some of them were saying that Christ is not risen. Where would we be today? What would we be worshiping, or who would we be worshiping if he had not risen from the grave? Every other religion in the world is worshiping a dead Savior except Christianity. And we have a risen Lord, a risen Savior. The wonderful part about that is that guarantees our resurrection to life eternal. And then they were saying, some of them, he is not a personal God. What would we do without this wonderful person, the Lord Jesus Christ, who loves us and cares for us? So he was exposing heresy. He was also, secondly, he was helping them understand what real Christianity looks like. Do you suppose it was already back then, in the first century, do you suppose it was already somewhat like it is like today, where sometimes it's very difficult to tell what real Christianity looks like? Do you suppose it was like that already in the first century? I think maybe it was. I do. And it's that way today, isn't it? Sometimes, unless we have our heads on straight, unless we're in the Word of God every day, it's really hard to tell what real Christianity looks like. But, but John here not only gives us the authenticity of Christianity, but tells us what it really looks like. And in these ten proofs, he gives us ten thoughts and ten facts and ten truths as to what to look for when we consider true Christianity and what it really looks like in this world. It's a fact, isn't it, that sometimes people listen to our words, but mostly they look to see if we're genuine. I think that's very, very true. It may sound very simple tonight, but I think it's true. Sometimes people listen to our words. And that comes from being a teacher for 40 years. <laughs> But mostly they look to see if we are genuine. That's what they're really looking for. So what John is really saying here in 1 John is this. From my life experience and from the authority given me by Christ, this is how to live in the world, and this is what true Christianity really looks like. And this is given from someone to whom, this is the apostle, to whom Christ entrusted his mother. That means a lot to me. Because I believe if the Lord Jesus Christ entrusted his mother to the Apostle John, then John had something really very special. 
And he expressed what genuine Christianity in his life, expressed what genuine Christianity really was. My wife and I and my sister had the first-hand, first-time experience about a month ago, a month or five weeks ago, of asking our, my mother, 92 years old, to be a patient at a nursing home, full care nursing home. My sister-in-law, who was doing a wonderful job of taking care of her, just simply could not do it any longer. And we introduced my mother to a full care nursing home. Well, you want to just bet that we did some searching and some looking <laughs> and uh, went to the nursing home and talked with people. We talked to a registered nurse who knew the area and knew the nursing homes in the area and say, what what are the top three? We had to tell the doctors the top three that, that we had chosen. What are the top three in your opinion? And this is one of the ones she said. We prayed about it. That's not the least of what we did. We prayed about it. We went to the nursing home. We looked at the room. We met some of the nurses and the workers. I don't know if the others did or not, but I checked out the kitchen and the cleanliness. That's a big deal to me. <laughs> Please don't laugh, but I went into the public restroom just so that I could see if it was clean. You want to believe we checked it out because we were entrusting our mother and mother-in-law with people that we really didn't and we are beginning to find out just how good this place is. We're finding more and more and more and more people are saying how good this place is. You see, and this is a lot like what I think of when I think of the Apostle John. What a man he must have been. What a genuine person. What a good person. What a godly person. What an authentic guy he must have been for the Lord Jesus to entrust to him his mother. And that's kind of what we have here. That's the background. That's what's going on here in the epistle of 1 John. Let's take a look at the introduction, the first four verses tonight. It looks like that's as far as we're going to get. But let's take a look at the introduction to this book found in the first four verses. In the first four verses here, the apostle is establishing his authenticity and Christ's authenticity. You see in chapter 2, if you took over to chapter 2 and verse 18, there were antichrists, there were heretics in the time. He said, little children, it's the last time as ye have heard that antichrist shall come. Even now are there many antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. And so, as we said before, these folks were facing some very, very difficult times. They were facing many untruths. They had to be confident in the fact that in whom they were trusting. They had to be confident in the fact that they were correct in understanding the words of God. They were correct in listening to the apostles. They were correct in turning their lives over to God. They had to have some confidence in this because of all that was going on. And so what he does, he establishes their authenticity. First of all, the authenticity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at what he says. 
that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, our hands have handled, of the word of life. This is his relationship to the Lord Jesus. This is their physical relationship. This is what he had seen in following Jesus Christ. Think of it. In Matthew 17, we won't take time to turn there, but in Matthew chapter 17, it explains uh, Peter, James, and John and their seeing Christ transfigured before them. That must have been something. And now he's giving witness to that. He said, that which we have seen with our eyes and have looked upon, and the life was manifested in, and bear witness, that which we have seen, verse 3, and heard, declare we unto you. They had seen the Lord Jesus transfigured before their eyes. They had a, they had a glimpse of heaven because of following Jesus. That'll help establish the authenticity, won't it? They had a glimpse of heaven through the Lord Jesus. In Mark chapter 1, for instance, they were present with Jesus' baptism. They heard this voice, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. In John chapter 1, John himself says there that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. That's the testimony of the prophet. That's, that's what he says, or some of the things that he says about the genuineness of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, there had to be, for the people to whom he was writing, there had to be uh, a, a, an, a relentless confidence of who they were following and who they were worshiping. There had to be that. And there has to be that today. Admit it. We would be foolish to waste our time in running off after someone that we were not sure of and that was not truly the Savior. And so he says to them, yes, we saw, we heard, we were there. And then in verse 2, he says, he says this, he said, for the life was manifested the word manifest is an interesting word. It means very apparent, emphasis on very, very apparent. And so he says, this life of the Lord Jesus, and he calls it eternal life, this life of the Lord Jesus, in verse 2 he says, I show you that eternal life, this was very apparent to us. There was absolutely no question about it. And my friends, when we go out into this world and when we're trying to serve the Lord Jesus and we're... We're trying to live for him, and we're trying to help others come to him. We have got to be a thousand percent sure who we're talking about and who we're presenting and who we know and who we wish them to know. And while we will not have the same things here as John the Apostle had, because we're not apostles and we weren't there in the first century, Yet we have the witness of the Word of God and the witness of the Apostle. He said, this is the one we saw. Look in verse 1. He said, this was from the beginning which we have heard. Imagine standing there following the Lord Jesus himself and standing there time after time after time listening to him speak the words of God to the people. We heard it. And then he said, 
we saw it. We saw this with our eyes. And then he said, we have handled. Uh, look what he says, which we have looked upon in our, at the end of verse 1. And our hands have handled of the word of life. I think, when I think about that, I think back to John in chapter 20. And remember Thomas, who had not been present at that time, and, and, and made his brag and said, look, unless I touch his wounded side and touch his wounded hands, I will not believe. And when the Lord Jesus entered the room, of course he knew that, and he said to Thomas, he said, go ahead, touch my side and touch my hands. That's what he's talking about here. John says, we have handled him, literally touched him, the risen Savior, we know who he is. He is genuine. He is authentic. Turn with me, please, for just a moment to John in chapter 20. I'd like to read a couple of verses there. John in chapter 20, in verse 24. <clears throat> I'd like for you to see that. You know the story, I'm sure. John 20 and 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said, that is Thomas, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again the disciples were within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger and behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless, but believing. Now, look at verse 28. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God, the genuineness of our Savior, we have handled the word of life. And then, lastly, uh, John says, and speaking of the genuineness of Christ and the authenticity of Christ, he said we have fellowship with him. We have fellowship. Look in verse 3. That which we have seen, heard, declare unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. If all of this had not been true, which of course it was, and they knew it was true, but just being there and the closeness and the fellowship, the word fellowship means, means partnership and participation and communion and all the... the the times that they had with the Lord Jesus continue to prove his genuineness. So he is, John is here, proving the authenticity of Christ and of the apostles. Secondly, what he's doing in these first four verses, he's inviting them to fellowship. Therefore, we could say that word, therefore, because of this genuineness, because all that I've said before, Look in verse 3. Therefore, that you also may have fellowship with us and with the Father and with Jesus Christ. He's inviting them to this fellowship. Look, if you're struggling, you're having difficulty, you're listening to heresy, you're struggling with the authenticity of, of Christ and of us and of even of your own salvation, then join in with us. Participate with us. Become partners with us and with him. He's inviting them to fellowship. and saying that is another way in which we can experience the wonderful things of God. 
and experience who Jesus really is. You know, we're fools. If we think we're going to impress anyone with our Christianity and we don't walk in fellowship with him, foolish. Waste of time. Waste of time. I had a gentleman, a, a well-meaning gentleman, say to me one time, well, uh, my son is really having a great time witnessing to his friend. What he didn't realize, and I didn't go into judging and all that, I'm not into that, but what clicked in my mind, what he didn't realize is that I know his son. I knew his son. And I knew what his, some of the things that his son was doing. And I knew the reputation that his son had. And to witness to his friends would be a total waste of time. Why? Because the kid wasn't genuine. It was obvious. He just wasn't genuine. And if we really want to have an impact on people, which we do, Boy, Murray really complimented our church this morning, didn't he? Hmm. We've got to live up to that now. <laughs> but if we really want to impact this community and impact our unsaved friends and impact the people around us, then we have got to be sure that our line of communication, our fellowship with the Father and with the Son is clean and pure and true on a daily basis. And only then can we experience the power of Christ? Then thirdly, I guess we'll have to end with this, this introduction of the first four verses. Thirdly, not only is he declaring their authenticity and inviting them to fellowship, but he is expecting joy. Look at verse 4. He said, In these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Now, some of you may have translations or versions that say our joy. Don't worry about it. If it says our joy instead of your joy, I'm reading from the King James, and it says your joy, but don't worry about it. It says our joy. Personally, I don't see any problem with either one. Because if we have fellowship with the Father and we're introducing people to the genuineness of Jesus Christ, then both are true. If I introduce someone to the Lord Jesus and they accept him and they go on to live for him, then boy, that fills me up with joy. But I'll tell you what, if they truly accept him, it fills them up with joy too. So our joy, your joy, doesn't make any difference. They're both true. He said, I'm writing these things to you and I'm talking about the authenticity of Christ and the apostles. I'm talking about fellowship with the Father that your joy and our joy might be full. What is it to have full joy as a Christian? Very quickly. What is it to have full joy as a Christian? First of all, as far as this passage is concerned, and this book is concerned, to have full joy is to know that Christ indeed is authentic. That's full joy. Wouldn't it be something to live your whole life dedicated to a person, come to the end of your life and find out that it was all a farce? So knowing that our Lord Jesus is authentic brings full joy. Secondly, 
In John 15, it says our joy is full as we have the privilege of abiding with Him. Not only knowing Him and knowing that He is genuine, but abiding in Him, living with Him, yielded to Him, nurtured by Him. It promises full joy. Then in John 16, it says, Ask what you will, and your joy will be full. The privilege of abiding and the privilege of asking brings full joy. You see, because we're praying to the true God in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and if our hearts are right, He hears and answers according to His will, and our joy will be full when we understand that His answers are the best answers for us. Sometimes I pray and get an answer and my joy isn't full. You know why? Because I'm not willing to accept what He thinks is best for me and the answer that He thinks is best for me. I think I know better than He does. That's when my joy isn't full. But the privilege of abiding and the privilege of asking as we're in the Lord. And then fourthly, it says in 1 Peter, our joy is full as we have the privilege of believing. The privilege of believing. And 1 Peter, of course, is talking to the same group of people that James is talking to, and they're dealing with converted Jews who are scattered, who are facing hardships and difficulties and trials. And he says, our joy will be full as we have the privilege of believing, and the context is as we have the privilege of believing in Him and trusting Him through trials and difficulties and temptations. That's what he's talking about. And it's something, when we're facing difficulties, to understand that our precious Savior is authentic and genuine and well worth trusting and placing our lives into and understand that even in difficult times we can rejoice because of who he is, because of the privilege, <clears throat> excuse me, the privilege of trusting in him. That's what Peter was saying. So our joy is full. He said, John says, these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. All of those things have to do with full joy. I think in these days we need a good dose of full joy, don't we? There's a lot, of, a lot of rotten stuff out there. Don't need to tell you about it. A lot of rotten stuff out there. We need a good dose of full joy. And it comes as we consider what John says here about our Savior and about who He really is. And as we have time, perhaps later in another time, we'll talk about some of the proofs, the positive of the genuineness of our Christian lives. Some of them will hurt me. Maybe you. Some of them will hurt. For instance, we have the, the first positive proof I wrote down. It's found in the next few verses. It's walking in the light. Am I walking in the light? What a proof positive of my authenticity. The second one is, and this is the last one that I will, I will mention to you, but the second one is, let me get my notes here. I know what it is, but I want to say it right. The second one is my admission, my quick admission and repentance of sin. 
chapter 1, 8 to 2, 2, which speaks about confessing our sins. See, I prove how genuine I am in Christ by how quickly I recognize my sin and ask for forgiveness. That's what he's talking about here. The proof positives of the genuineness of our Christianity. Well, one thing we know, we can be confident in the genuineness of our Savior. And I trust that tomorrow, we wake up and then tomorrow, seek to live for him, we will understand that no matter what comes our way, who knows what's out there tomorrow, that no matter what comes our way, we'll understand that we need to trust in this genuine one who lived and died and rose again.